This is episode 17 with Matthew Pillmore. Your challenges don't define you. However, how you choose to handle them does. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Laugh at Adversity podcast. I'm your host, Gary Savoy. Having overcome medical trauma, I've made it my mission to uncover all of the secrets to overcoming life's challenges and living a better life. Each week, I will bring you an inspiring person or message. You'll hear from some of the most inspirational people on this planet, including those who have overcome adversity firsthand. My goal is to provide you with everything you need to conquer your challenges and to turn your struggles into strengths. Adversity can strike in many ways, but one of the most common forms that many of us face in life are financial struggles. Statistics suggest that as much as 70% of the population can't put together $1,000 in reserves. If you want to learn how to improve your credit score, are interested in generating more cash flow, or maybe you just want to get out of debt, then you need to continue to listen to this episode with Matthew Pillmore. He is the president of VIP Financial Education, and along with his team of industry experts, he has been providing in-depth cash flow management education and coaching since 2000. Matthew believes that by understanding the rules, you can better manage your debt and credit scores. Ultimately, you give yourself the opportunity to save massive interest and insurance costs over time. And these savings can be used to enhance your lifestyle and achieve your financial goals more quickly. In this episode, I talk with Matthew about how to use debt to create wealth and why leverage is the key ingredient to creating wealth. We also talk why we should try to surround ourselves with success, mentors, and people that are supporting us around us. We also talk about the power behind cash flow stacking and how to use debt weapons to grow your cash flow. We also get into the difference between transactional income and residual income and how to improve your credit score. Lastly, we also talk about the three C's to tackling adversity. So without further ado, if you're looking for financial tips in your life, continue listening to this episode with Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the Laugh at Adversity podcast. It's great to have you on here today. Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Gary. So I'd like to start off by having you talk a little bit about how you started creating VIP financial education and your background and what kind of led you to finances. Okay. Um, we'll do our best to condense the story. It started about 18 years ago. I was actually in the wholesale residential mortgage lending world back in 2000 when it was a madhouse, absolute chaos. First refinance boom, rates were dropping like crazy. Everybody was being pushed to refi over and over again. You didn't even need licensing to get involved. So it seemed like everybody and a relative was already in the industry. And what we did was we, we pursued a way of, of separating ourselves from the competition. And by creating VIP financial education alongside America's mortgage, which was the mortgage side of our business, we were able to start standing out from the pack by just providing a lot of free education. And that was really the purpose. But in order to do that in a way where we, we kind of felt proud of what we were teaching, it required us to really advance our knowledge on certain subjects. And the subject that we selected was credit. And in order to uh, absorb as much information as we could, we, we hired a mentor um, the, the coaches that we hired were, were notorious for being the pioneers of the industry, both personal and business credit. 
And after a couple of years uh, uh, of studying underneath them, we we really began to develop our own reputation as as experts on the subject. And um, that really started to expand and diversify our curriculum to a point where we started getting invitations to radio programs, to television and uh, and and to almost every real estate conference available in order to start teaching the power behind credit, and the influence it has on your overall overall you know, financial well-being. Um, and so come 2005, we were, we, we had a very, um, you know, widespread reputation for being leaders on the subject, which then started to advance us into other areas of how you could bank and borrow money. Um, that combined with our studying of books like rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, you know, was really kind of our jumping off point for how you could actually use debt to create wealth. And from that point forward, it was a, it was a very powerful evolution. The reason that what we teach today has become so uniquely special was we, we saw that the education we gained from the book, rich dad, poor dad simply wasn't good enough. It was this concept of borrow, 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 and take the money that you're borrowing and reinvest it into assets that earn returns on the investment that exceed the cost of the money that you're borrowing. And in theory and on paper to a, you know, to a person that thinks like an engineer, you know, I, that was methodical and black and white, and I could really wrap my head around it. And I, I ran with it. But when you start to see that the economy is unpredictable. You know, at the early age of, you know, 28, uh, I was starting to experience the, the 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 great recession and started to see the pitfalls of where so-called good debt actually doesn't meet up to its title. And we began to challenge that there might be a, another way of looking at this and another way of handling it where you can still get the benefits of leverage without the long-term downsides. And, and that's really where our philosophies and curriculum um, uh, started to take shape. And, and it's it's been a wild ride ever since. So since then, we, we've developed a, a coaching program that not only provides a, an ongoing free curriculum, but we support those that, that plug into our content with, with fulfillment and, and hand-holding in order to get them um, to, to plug in the right way. So that's, that's how we ended up where we are today. That's awesome. It's, I feel like you're speaking to me for one, because I'm a software engineer, um, by day. And then two, because I just read rich dad, poor dad. So that book was definitely eye opening for me. And I think it is for, for many people, but like you said, I feel, you know, I, I need a deeper understanding. So you talked a little bit about leverage and, and good debt. Could you explain the differences between good debt and bad debt? Oh, you bet. Listen, I, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of the Rich Dad series, was was pretty much the uh, the inventor of the term good debt. Uh, I don't know of anybody using that term before him. Um, and I think it's a dangerous term. I think that it misleads people and, and it, it puts people on a path of risk unnecessarily. If you subscribe to the idea that the banks are not developing their rules of repayment in favor of you, the borrower, it's pretty easy and logical for an engineering brain like yours to understand that there's probably a better way of repayment. 
So to simply accept that you should pay a house off in, say, 30 years simply because you get a terrific interest rate is ludicrous. If you begin to understand that there are significant benefits to at least analyzing the option of paying a mortgage or non-mortgage related balances off earlier, you'll start to see that many of them outweigh the benefits of maintaining long-term low interest rate debts. So when I look at debt, let me start things off by saying I don't believe there is such a thing as good debt. Now, I believe leverage is the key or most important ingredient to creating wealth. I believe that leverage is the key or most important ingredient to accelerating wealth creation. When you leverage, you end up with debt. Now, I look at that debt and treat it as though it's wildly dangerous. So I I attack it as if I'm being chased by a pack of wolves. I'm I'm not allowing that debt to to maintain a servicing under the terms the bank originally agreed to because I know that even low interest rate long-term loans are going to cost exorbitant amounts of money. In fact, at just a five and a quarter percent interest rate, you'll end up paying almost what you borrowed in interest costs over a 30-year amortization. If you borrow $300,000 for a house and you're at a five and a quarter interest rate, you'll pay almost $300,000 in interest, making that house twice as expensive. If you could if you could just simply apply a collection of more advanced repayment techniques, any borrower with a positive cash flow position, meaning any borrower who has more money left over at the end of the month than what they're spending, has the opportunity to significantly condense that long-term repayment into just a fraction of the time. Our most common repayment terms fall somewhere between five and eight years for a 30-year loan. For, for the most part, by and large, the break-even point where you're paying equal parts principal to interest will take somewhere between 18 and 20 years, depending on your interest rate. At that point, you're paying equal parts principal to interest. Any m- homeowner with a mortgage has uh, can relate to each payment being made on their statement, mostly hitting interest costs along the way with only a marginal difference going towards the principal contribution as you start to pay it down. Uh, With that in mind, even again, under say a five and a quarter percent interest rate, which is a more realistic interest rate than what we've seen over the past handful of years. Uh, Five and a quarter is in many ways considered a, a bad interest rate today, which goes to show you how spoiled we are. Back when I started doing loans, we would have done backflips for five and a quarter percent. We didn't think it was even possible. So five and a quarter percent is not a bad starting point to at least have the discussion regarding borrowing. Um, but at that level, um, the potential uh, you know, of repayment is literally dollars of increased principal each month uh, with dollars of decreased interest each month based on each payment you're making. It is an incredibly slow process, which is why most people think that mortgages are front-loaded with interest. They're not, in fact, front-loaded. They are simple interest loans, not compounded interest. It's based on the dollar amount you still owe, which is why, over time, the the, larger amounts are going towards principal as you pay down the amortization schedule because you're making the same size payment every month when the loan is getting smaller and smaller and smaller gradually as you're paying. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So 
in your in your classes that you know that you're teaching, whether you're free <clears throat> free videos, you know, on YouTube or your your sessions, are you teaching your clients to pay down faster? Uh, when it's appropriate, absolutely. Uh, you know, the way that I would describe our 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 services, our coaching, is it's completely custom to every single person that we work with. So every game plan has to be individualized, very similarly to the way that you would design a roadmap. There's not, there's no two identical roadmaps. Um, every single person has a different path that they take over life. And that's also true with your money. And I think it's really important to note that there's not just one right way or one wrong way to go about doing things. I think the the biggest thing we advocate towards when it comes to, to financial well-being is surrounding yourself with the right mentors and coaches. It doesn't have to be us. We're, we're going to be an inappropriate fit for the majority of people that discover our in- information just as uh, you know, a, a, a comprehensive gym facility is an inappropriate fit for most people, even though the concept of physical health is appropriate for all people. I would argue 80 or 90 percent, if not more of people who have, have invested in a gym membership probably shouldn't have. And I think that's true with our coaching, too. We we disqualify more people than we approve. Um, so we have a little different business model than what I think a lot of people are used to. Um, however, the idea of building a team is conceptually true as well. I have not accomplished anything entrepreneurially or as an investor um, that, that, that I'm much proud of without the help of other people assisting me. And, and so I would encourage people to surround themselves with success. Identify the people that are already living what you consider to be part of your ideal lifestyle. And, and if you involve them in your decision-making, the idea that you'll, uh, you know, identify more opportunities than you would have otherwise and avoid more mistakes than you would have otherwise is inevitable. It's, it's an absolute certainty. Uh, so for me, I think it it really boils down to each and every set of circumstances based on both short-term and long-term goals that, uh, contribute towards the, the, the ultimate financial roadmap being developed for each and every person. Um, so it's very, very much case by case. I personally subscribe to the benefits of accelerating the elimination of debt while simultaneously subscribing to the benefits that come from perpetually leveraging into new assets and income streams, which means that I'm always taking out new debt to acquire new income and assets while quickly turning around and paying off debt at the same time, whether it be immediately attacking the debt that I just borrowed or continuing down the path of paying off a debt that I had previously targeted before borrowing more money for a new asset. Does that make sense? And as you grow your income and assets, it leads to a result that we call cash flow stacking. Let me give you an example. Let's say I own a $100,000 property and it has a $50,000 mortgage on it that I want to pay off. If I'm attacking that mortgage with an extra $1,000 per month in disposable income, we call that cash flow. If I take that cash flow and I'm appropriately using various techniques, I can pick the one that works the best for me. Even if it just means I'm taking an extra $1,000 per month and applying it towards that mortgage, it would be paid off more quickly because I'm applying extra principal every month, saving then significant amounts of interest over time. If along the way, 
I identify, say, another $100,000 property that I'd like to purchase that requires, say, a $25,000 down payment or 25%, I can then rely on specialty types of loan tools that we call debt weapons in order to borrow more money for a down payment along with borrowing the $75,000 first mortgage on that new property for one reason and one reason only, and that's to grow my cash flow. So let's say that my cash flow grows from $1,000 per month to 1,300 or 1,400 or 1,500 because I'm left after all of my expenses on that new property with an extra three, four or $500 every single month. Now that $1,000 worth of cash flow has improved and stacked up to 13, 14 or 1,500, which if I'm now applying that 1,500 towards the 50,000 of that original target balance that I was paying down, it's paid off even faster. Right. Once that balance is paid for free and clear, I'm then left with the principal and interest payments that I was making on that loan as part of my new cash flow position. So my new cash flow jumps from 1300 to say 1600 or 1300 to say 1700 or 1500 to 1900. At that point, we're able to stack that against the new mortgage and down payment that we borrowed. And we're washing, rinsing and repeating this process year after year after year. So through a, a slow methodical, get rich in a more sexy way versus get thinking that getting rich quickly is feasible for the typical person, we know that, again, with absolute certainty, it's just a matter of time. And that's exactly what's happened. With absolute certainty, we developed substantial amounts of wealth through the course of residual streams of income, not to be confused with passive income. In fact, uh, we dropped the video talking about Passive income being garbage, not a real thing. It's quite a buzzword too these days. Oh, it's everywhere. I'm getting so tired of it. And I've been guilty too of using it, which I've started catching myself and and correcting myself. Uh, So we call it now progressive income. And progressive income is where you're using maximum efficiency, where whatever efforts you're putting in create that consistent, continual income coming back to you month in and month out. And as you do that, that's what feels passive over time. But in reality, it took whatever proactive efforts necessary to get it in place and then to sustain it and manage it over time. I have yet to discover anything that requires no effort at all. Um, even after it's in place, there's a, a maintenance and management issue that, that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, I think from everything that you just said, it might sound a little intimidating to you know people that are just hearing about cash flow and assets and liabilities. But I'd like to just ask a further question. Your cash flow stack, that's something that happens over time, going from 1000 to, say, 1300 to 1500 That's like years, right? Yeah, well, it was in my situation. I, I will say that I, I've certainly been exposed to many people who have, uh, have done very well very quickly. Um, so I know, it, you know it's certainly possible. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to do that. You know, it took me since 2000 to build to where I am today. And today, you know, we 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 do six figures um, every single month, um, you know, and that's by and large uh, a residual income stream, a collection of income streams. We have eight total income streams. Anybody that talks on the subject of wealth creation is most likely going to encourage diversifying revenues into a collection. Multiple streams of income is also obviously buzzworthy, but it's it's real. And that, that is something that I stand behind. So 
you know, again, I think it's the difference between looking at at working for $13.50 an hour and selling an hour of your life for $13.50. Right. Would you sell an hour of your life for $13.50? Probably not. But a lot of people who say probably not to that question, they might be working for something close to that. And so the idea here is, how can I put in a similar amount of effort to gain a $13.50 per month trade-off every month? What if I put in one hour of time and got $13.50 every single month until I die? Would you put in an hour of your time then? Probably so. Because chances are that's going to amount to sums that, that dwarf even the highest paid people on earth from a transactional standpoint. So the key here is understanding the difference between transactional income and residual income, again, which we call progressive income. So transactional income you work for, and once that work is done and the income is done, that's it. You're only as good as your last hour. You're only as good as your last uh, project. Fix and flippers are another great example of transactional income. That's why at the end of many of the fix and flip shows that are popular on channels like HDTV end with time to find another house to flip. Well, if you find just you know enough sources of income that pay you every month, the difference between owning 10 rental properties free and clear and earning rent every month until you die and flipping properties, even for large sums of money, each flip is significantly different. Right. One gives you freedom of choice. The other one you're locked in at. What we're trying to do is strip ourselves from obligation. I like that. I'd like to also take a step back and jump into, you mentioned a little bit briefly, the, the debt weapons. And I've, <clears throat> I watched a video on your YouTube channel. Do you mind jumping in a little bit and giving us some examples of debt weapons? Oh, you bet. So debt weapons is a term that we gave to any tool that ultimately helps grow your leftover cash flow. And most of us have been familiarized with the term, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep, right? So that that statement also, while being cliche, is very, very true. Um, had a conversation just today with an individual earning $20,000 per month, and none of it's left over by the end of the month. I think, by and large, most people in this country can relate to having minimal amounts of cash flow. Uh, statistics are suggesting that as many as as much as 70% of the population um, can't put together $1,000 in reserves. So that's a very, very scary number. If even half wrong, it's still a scary number. Um, so cash flow is king. When people talk about cash being king, cash flow is the king of all. How much money you have left over is is incredibly important. So the more that we can scale that number up, the more freedom you will have. Ultimately, I find our audience um, consists of people that are not as interested in greed and, and you know piling up mountains of money, but they're more interested in in freedom. They're more interested in in being able to choose how they spend their their time, living life on their own terms. That was always my motivation, and for me, you know, I've redefined retirement for myself. To know, even as of uh, as recent as just a couple years back, that it, it really was less about not doing anything and a lot more about um, 
freedom of mobility for me. So being able to have geographical mobility to me is the definition of retirement. If I can be anywhere I want to be anytime I want to be there and stay as long as I want, I feel like I don't have obligation. It, I, I could spend all day on the phone. I can spend all, all day, every day working. I love the work. So I think each person needs to just simply define what it is that is most important to them, which will then again lead all trails will lead back to cash flow. Cash flow will give people the ability to achieve those objectives. Debt weapons increase cash flow. So it's a fairly diverse answer, meaning something as simple as a website like JibJab, which is a really comical alternative to going out and buying greeting cards for holidays and birthdays, which are ridiculously expensive. We're spending three, four, five, six. I think I've spent eight or nine dollars on greeting cards in the past because they become so elaborate. So they, you know, while it might only be a 40 or $50 per year investment for folks going out and alternatively investing in a subscription like JibJab, which in my opinion offers a more personalized you know, better form of greeting for somebody for a birthday or a holiday, it's only $12 per year. So instantly we're dealing with a $38 adjustment with absolutely no sacrifice in lifestyle. The reason that our information has become so popular is because we're not here showing people how to ratchet back and give up all the things they love. I'm not saying don't buy your Starbucks and don't go out to eat and don't travel and don't donate. What I'm saying is, Let's give up the things we hate spending money on. Let's not spend money unnecessarily on interest costs for things like mortgages, if not lots of non-mortgage related debt. Let's not go out and spend money unnecessarily on improper tax planning. Let's not go out and spend money unnecessarily because we don't manage our credit well on things like insurance costs. Your insurance is affected by poor management of money because your credit determines your premiums. All of those things are things we all hate spending money on. What we're here to decide is how can we use various tools in order to get as far as we possibly can, as efficiently as possible without giving up all the things we love. And debt weapons are what allow us to do that. Now, the most popular and most commonly discussed forms of debt weapons on our YouTube channel go way beyond resources like JibJab. That's simply a way of managing personal expenses in a more responsible, creative, effective way. Debt weapons like lines of credit, debt weapons like credit cards, debt weapons like business accounts, debt weapons provided most commonly through financial institutions like banks and credit unions are allowing us to compress the long-term repayment of various amortizations like home and auto loans or student loans, as well as have access to capital necessary if we want to go out and acquire new forms of income and assets like real estate. If I want to buy real estate and I'm able to borrow the money for the down payment, I'm able obviously to acquire properties on a far accelerated basis than somebody who has to save up 25 or 30% for every property that they're purchasing. That person's going to purchase their assets and income streams at a much slower pace than someone like me. So what debt weapons allow us to do is accelerate our intentions, accelerate our objectives when it comes to the net outcome of cash flow maximization. 
The way we described it in the video, I think you're referring to, which people can find on our YouTube channel called VIP Financial Ed, compares debt weapons to that of tools that a carpenter might use, whereby a power tool might be appropriate for one specific task, a hand tool might be appropriate for another. They don't, they're not all universally applicable. Every tool serves different purposes. You could also easily compare debt weapons to say motor vehicles. Motor vehicles is a broad spectrum of forms of acceleration. If I want to get from point A to point B, using some form of a motor vehicle is going to help me accomplish that. But I couldn't simply use a Honda Accord you know, to harvest a crop of corn. It's not the same motor vehicle, right? Right? They're not universally applicable, just like debt weapons are not universally applicable. So again, part of what we're helping people understand are the types of accounts that are actually available to all of us as borrowers, as consumers, and then how to actually use those vehicles or tools uh, effectively so that we're not getting ourselves into any problems. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, jump into a combine and, and figure out how to harvest a crop of corn, you know, without somebody of somebody that understands the equipment and there to teach me, it would be, I, I would somehow find a way to run myself over. I would be, I would become part of the crop, you know, same thing with, with your automobile. We all go through driver's education. I wouldn't want to use power tools. I wouldn't want to jump on and use some power saw that I had no idea how to use because I'm certain to cut off a limb. The same, don't go out and, and, and attempt to use these tools without the proper competence to use them, which you can certainly gain on your own. That's what we did. I gained my knowledge about these subjects uh, m- mostly on my own, but it was extremely expensive. We made massive mistakes. There were mistakes that almost put us out of business in the past that would have been avoidable if I had mentors and coaches to teach me about these subjects. The problem is they didn't exist when we were creating the platform of mentoring people about these tools. We pioneered this industry and there are other organizations that help people get access to certain tools like this, but again, in a very dangerous way because there is no support then to help them use it properly. It's like owning a gun shop and just selling guns and not not necessarily concerning yourself with how they're being used later. That's not what we are. We talk about the guns, we teach about the guns, and then we help people use everything the way that they're meant to um, so that they're safe and moving forward much more quickly. Right. I think it's a, you can, you can obviously teach yourself, but it's, I think it's a much longer and painful process. And, you know, I think, I think it's interesting because, you know, in high school, that's not something they really talk about, you know, creating financial freedom or even, Finances in general, I think, is kind of a scary topic, even probably for most families. You know, it might not be talked about, you know, in their household growing up. But honestly, it's one of the most important things, I think, you know, in life, being able to create the financial freedom, not just to, you know, be greedy and create all of this wealth. But like you mentioned earlier, it's about creating that freedom, you know, having the ability to, you know, we could be recording this podcast anywhere in the world right now. You know, it's creating creating that freedom where we don't have to, you know, sit there for a nine to five job and having progressive, um, you know, income, not, not necessarily passive, but having different streams of income. So I, I do understand, you know, the benefits of having a mentor. And I think that can really help, you know, grow your financial knowledge at a much faster rate. And you get to learn from some of your own mistakes that cost you dearly. That's absolutely true. And which would be probably how I define adversity anyway, is as opportunity. Um, you know, there's, 
more opportunity in learning things the hard way. Um, I will say that um, my family never talked about money and my family was always really responsible with money. We weren't rich. My dad was a self-employed CPA. So by trade, he was always great with numbers and with money. They never had debt. My parents lived mortgage-free. They set a great example, but they never taught me what they were doing. They were always very um, secretive and ambiguous about um, you know, what they earned. They didn't want us to share with our friends. And, and, and I can understand that, but I do think that that's a, a huge fault of our society is that money is such a taboo subject. And I do wish that it was more commonly discussed. I, I would have to guess that a major reason that the discussions um, are uncommon is there's a, a tremendous amount of ignorance in all generations when it comes to money. So it's not a, a major surprise that our parents are uncomfortable discussing money because they too were undereducated when it came to money. Their parents are taught different differently about money than they grew up learning. You know, my parents were one of the first generations that really experienced the era of borrowing. It was uncommon to borrow money other than a mortgage. And my grandparents used to have celebrations known as mortgage burning parties, where it was really common where you'd pay off a loan and you'd torch, you'd literally invite your friends over. You'd take the note, the promissory note, and you'd burn it. It was a, it was a party. The, that went away with my parents' generation. So if they didn't necessarily follow in the footsteps of their parents, how could they realistically be there to help teach me about what has since subsequently become a completely different borrowing world from when they were actually my age or your age. We are all experiencing a massive evolution within the banking system that we cannot control. And if we're unable to control that evolution, all we can really do is poise ourselves to take advantage of, again, what some might describe as adversity, right? And it gives us the opportunity to laugh at it. All we have to do is go back 10 years to see that there was this downturn in the economy that all of us were in some ways uh, a victim of. But those of us that were in a great position were able to make a lot of new wealth opportunities out of it. And so I would recommend people start now, start while the economy feels strong because it will not last. This is not, uh, this is not evergreen. This is something that is going to unravel. It may unravel in a year. It may unravel in 10 years. We are currently experiencing one of the longest bull runs in history. Um, that's been fun, but guess what? You know, what's going to be even more fun is when, the majority of the population feels as if they're being tested with adversity while those of us that can't wait for the market to unravel are cleaning up. And I don't want that to sound selfish, but we all have the same opportunity. We are all blessed with the exact same opportunity where there will be great differences is in the outcome. And that is, that's up to you. The variable is, is the person. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do, you know, with mindset and, you know, the habits that you create and, you know, being able to 
not be afraid to take risks. You know, I mean, I think that's how you probably got in your, your situation. You've obviously failed, I'm sure, many a times. You know, you said you had some expensive lessons. So it's, you know, it's a matter of getting back on your horse and, and continuing and to continuing to learn. And I think that that's, I think that that's a fair statement. I, I would at least test people to question whether or not it's more risky to attempt to build something extraordinary or more risky to remain ordinary. Mm. If you're going to continue down the same path the banks want you to be on, one could possibly make the argument that it's a lot more risky doing things the way the bank wants you to, rather than actually understanding through competence how to be more confident in order to be more consistent. So those are the three C's that I would recommend people pay very close attention to. The way we gain competence is through knowledge. We do our own homework, we study, we research, we test, we play the devil's advocate, we challenge what somebody's saying. And once we prove it to be true, it suddenly creates that confidence for us to do what we may have previously considered to be risky. If you look at what I'm talking about, it's less risky mathematically in all forms of the outcome. Everything is less risky. It's always less risky to have better credit than worse credit. It's always less risky to have access to more money than less money. It's always less risky to have less debt than more debt. It's always less risky to have more assets than less assets. These are common results that are going to come from practicing better banking. I know which side of the equation I would rather be on. I know which one sounds more dangerous when you're looking at it from that filter, from that lens. But on the surface, because it is faster, because it is more powerful and people are unfamiliar and don't have the competence regarding the subjects due to a lack of education growing up and due to uh, just the taboo subjects and unfamiliar, uh, a lack of familiarity regarding access to these, to these uh, techniques, it, it appears on, upon first impression that it's a more risky approach. It's not. That's just your mind playing a trick on you due to a lack of awareness. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. And I love that you kind of, you know, change the perspective on that. And I'd, yeah. like, I'd like to jump back a second to, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the borrowing period in your, our parents' generation. So I'd like to step back to, you know, I have conversations with my grandparents and everything they pay is, you know, pretty much cash, right? They're not big believers in credit cards. But then I look at my parents' generation and, you know, huge users of credit cards. And then you have my generation, which probably owns the most significant amount of student loans. Um, oh, and, yeah. And I'm sure we, we have a ton of credit card debt. So I was wondering if you could give us some, some good examples of how to build up your credit score when there is just so much debt in many different ways in this world right now. Great question. So credit is broken down into five main ingredients. So the most important thing, of course, is to pay everything on time. That goes without saying, I would argue that's the most commonsensical piece of information people have regarding their credit that's known. Beyond that, there are four additional pieces that have to be a focus, which involves your utilization ratio. That's how much, mar that's how much money is being borrowed against your actual limits specifically related to your revolving credit. Now, revolving credit is 
uh, like a credit card. It's where you can pay it down and use it again, pay it down, use it again. It revolves from one month to the next versus a closed ended installment loan, which uh, would be an automobile or a mortgage or a student loan. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. You pay each month until it's paid in full, at which point the account is closed. So a revolving credit card or revolving line of credit is going to impact your utilization ratio almost as much as paying your bills on time. So a very easy way of creating great credit is to pay your balances off every single month. Now, if that's impossible for one of your listeners right now, where let's say they're currently servicing revolving debt that is serviced one month to the next and is allowed to go into the next month and then the next month and they're either just making the minimum payments or they're making just above the minimum payments. The the most important thing is to make sure that you're paying as much as you possibly can towards those highest interest rate credit cards first. Now, that's very basic information. That's information that you can get from sources like Dave Ramsey, who's notorious for being an advocate for eliminating debt and not believing in leverage. So while Dave Ramsey and I agree that debt is dangerous, Dave Ramsey avoids it. We use it in a safe, controlled manner. Now, if somebody's trying to increase their credit scores, it's very, very important to keep that balance to available ratio as low as possible. By as low as possible, again, I mean paying it as close to zero or off in full every single month. If you are unable to do that, take every single dollar of your excess net cash flow at the end of each month after all of your bills have been paid, after all of your lifestyle spending has been paid, all of your cost of living has been paid, after your minimum payment obligations on all of your other debts have been paid, and take the extra amount and apply it towards that highest interest rate credit card first, and then attack the next highest interest rate. Now, Dave Ramsey's methodology is slightly different. He'll have you pay off the the lowest balance first, regardless of interest rate, because there's a sense of accomplishment that's coming along with that that helps people stay on track. It, It preserves momentum or motivation, right? Mathematically, that's obviously not the best approach. Mathematically, the best approach is to attack the highest interest rate account first. By doing that, on those revolving credit card accounts, you will increase your credit scores faster than anything else. This is, of course, after recognizing that you've been paying your bills on time each and every month. If you're not paying your bills on time, there's no way to get great great credit until you start paying your bills on time over extended periods. If you do have negative credit, that negative credit history will affect you in most cases for as much as around 36 months. After about three years, that really has a very, very diminished impact on your overall scores, unless, of course, it's uh, you know, uh, the only credit that you have. If you, ha- if all of your credit is considered derogatory, it can continue to have a long lasting negative impact for as long as seven years on any type of late payments or charge offs or collections. And it can be 10 years for any type of bankruptcy, um, that you have. So you make sure that, you know, those types of things are, there's a stop to them, to any late payments, any collection accounts, you have to be very, very careful about because paying those, 
can actually cause harm to your credit. It's better to negotiate those for removal. And there's a video on our YouTube channel for that as well. So people can get more information about it. But the easiest thing to do is keep your balances low on credit and earn your way there first and foremost. From there, it's about having a good mixture of credit. It's about having long sustained history, repayment history or age of the credit. Long accounts that you've had open for five, 10, 15 years are really important. The most common denominator of 850 FICO credit scores is in, is, is a 15 year history and longer as the average age of your credit file. Okay. So from there, it's just a minimization of opening new accounts. Don't go out and open a ton of new accounts in a short period of time. You want to reduce the number of inquiries and new accounts to your credit as it will negatively affect you by 10% of the score. So those are the other four ingredients, debt to available ratio, your utilization, the mixture of credit, the age of your credit file, and the inquiries and new accounts added. That's in conjunction with paying your bills on time, which is the first and most important priority. That's great advice. I love that. Thank you. So, so uh, one, one quick point I wanted to, to mention on that while we're on the subject, make sure that you are, are targeting a 760 and above as the FICO credit score necessary to achieve the best results as a borrower. And I continue to use the term FICO credit because FICO is the algorithm that 90% of banks rely on to determine if you're an eligible borrower. FICO is the, is the credit scoring algorithm created by Fair Isaac. Every one of the listeners can get their actual FICO credit scores by purchasing them from Fair Isaac at myfico.com. I would recommend not purchasing your FICO credit scores and instead rely on free resources like Credit Karma to access a version of your credit scores known as the Vantage credit score, which is not the same credit score as your FICO scores, but it will at least give enough information to know essentially where you're starting out and what needs to happen to build your credit from there. We're constantly releasing new videos on the YouTube channel regarding how to build personal and business credit. And all of that information is free of charge at that VIP financial ed location on the channel. It's actually, that was leading up right to my next question. So you just gave me your YouTube channel, but where else can people connect with you? Well, that's the best place. Um, because of the demand, we're, we're a very small company. Our YouTube channel alone has grown from about 10,000 subscribers um, to almost 100,000 subscribers in just the last 12 months. Um, we just don't have the bandwidth to help everybody that wants help. So if they want to reach out to us, they're going to have to go through the, the normal funnel, which essentially is we give everybody a complimentary coaching session at freecoachingcalendar.com once they've exceeded at least $500 per month in leftover cash flow. If somebody has not yet exceeded $500 per month in leftover cash flow, my direct one-on-one -on -one guidance will only have marginal benefits. Yes, we would help get them to that $500 point more quickly. However, because we have such a limited supply, we don't work with people one-on-one -on -one until they've exceeded that benchmark already. So we're, we, we, we simply have to be more selective today than we were years back when we had more availability. At this point, the free coaching sessions are scheduling out many months. So there's a long waiting list for those free free consultations. And it's it's designed to be uh, a value gift. We're not there to solicit. Like I had mentioned, we are here to talk most people out of a partnership because it's just not a perfect fit. 
Um, but people need to just simply visit VIP Financial Ed, start consuming the information to familiarize themselves further with what it is we're up to before a one-on-one conversation would even uh, be relevant to their to their references. They, they have to be able to reference back to a memory bank, which doesn't currently exist. Um, so start digesting information and content. And then from there, visit freecoachingcalendar.com and, and go ahead and select that free coaching session. Or people can certainly enroll in our paid subscription, which we allow uh, only seven new members per week to join. So very restrictive um, when it comes to our availability. But great content. Great content. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's, I'm telling you, uh, it's so much fun to make it because we, come, we, we, we uncover these revolutionary techniques that simply aren't found elsewhere. So not only is it fun for us to practice it ourselves and see the impact it's having on our own objectives, but it's just a blast to be able to, to share this with as many people as possible. And there's a reason that the channel's growing as quickly as it is. So people definitely should be checking it out and accepting that there are better ways of going about managing money. Yeah, kudos to you and your team too for you know seeing such rapid growth and all the hard work. That oh, you guys thanks. Are yeah, in. oh, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. And uh, I'll make sure to get those links from you and, and add them into the show notes for all the listeners to to get over there. Um, I usually have two final questions. You've already answered the definition of adversity, so I'm not going to question you on that one again. But <laughs> Opportunity. I'll leave this one as more of a, a summary of you know some of the topics that we already talked about. So, what are three tips that you could give someone who's dealing with financial adversity in their life right now? So it's going to go back to the three C's that we talked about previously. So let's emphasize them one more time. And then I'm going to give a tool that will help in this process to all of your listeners. It'll just be a gift. So again, we have to have comprehension, right? We have to have an understanding of how things actually work before we can be expected to be confident about it. So that would lead obviously into somebody feeling the courage to go forward and take the next step in their process, something has to change. If you're feeling financial adversity, something needs to be fixed. You can't go about continuing to do things the same way that caused the adversity in the first place. So again, gaining some general knowledge will help with that confidence to where a change can take place. Until somebody has confidence, change is impossible. You will not change into something without having any confidence at all, which then leads, of course, to the consistency behind the change. Okay. So if you're not consistent, which is caused by, again, uh, fear and impatience, if you're not patient enough to understand that all of this takes time, there is no such thing as, as we discussed passive income. And there is no such thing as we discussed as getting rich quickly. Yes. I've seen people achieve amazing results in considerable, considerably shorter periods of time than what I might call typical, but it's never overnight. And so we have to be patient enough to stick with something long enough to where you actually get to where you want to be. And from there, it starts to build tremendous momentum. So I would say three tips are get out there and gain that, that, that competence in order to grow your confidence in order to then uh, be consistent with your efforts on a long-term basis and success is inevitable. It is impossible to fail, even if you fall down, as long as you're getting back up. And that's true with even worst case scenarios financially. Some of the most successful people that we know 
have gone through what most people define as the worst case scenario financially next to homelessness, next to total financial despair, which is bankruptcy. It's almost universal that people consider bankruptcy your worst case scenario financially outside of living on the streets. And we've seen people recover from bankruptcies within 12 months, get back into the 700s with their credit scores. Um, There's a lot you can do to recover from even what most consider worst case. Uh, But if you're going to lay flat on your face, you'll end up on the streets. Got to keep going. Absolutely. I love that mindset. Um, I just want to take a moment to thank you for this interview and then also just acknowledge you and your team and thank you for everything that you do with all the content that you're putting out there to just bring, you know, financial awareness and all the tips that you give everybody just to kind of help give them, you know, the financial freedom that, you know, you're doing right now. Oh, that that's really generous of you. Thank you so much. And I want to give back to your group as well. Uh, if you want to throw a link in your show notes to cashflowcruncher.com spelled exactly as I'm stating, C-R-U-N-C-H-E-R, cashflowcruncher.com is the most dynamic, valuable uh, money management spreadsheet that exists. It will take them through an internet web-based portal in order to gather some of the basic information. It does not require any sensitive data. So there will be no request for account numbers, no request for social security numbers, no information that could be used to cause any damage, at which point somebody will then simply select complete and submit from the left menu bar. And it will it will export whatever information they put through the web portal into the Excel spreadsheet version of the same tool. It will email them a copy of that. They can use it month in and month out. It's one of the best. I don't I you know, I I'm always concerned to use the word budgeting tool. It is not to keep people on a restrictive budget, but rather to keep people completely aware of what's coming in and what's going out uh, while also combining um, additional formulas that you will not find on any other spreadsheets that can help with the actual road mapping of eliminating debt very quickly while also investing very quickly. So it's a tremendous tool and uh, we'd love to give it to your audience at no charge just as a, as a, a token of our appreciation for having us on today. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate it. That's very generous of you guys. Oh, you bet. You bet. Well, we all like to laugh at adversity, so I appreciate you having us on today. I really hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Matthew as much as I did. He has such a wealth of knowledge in the financial area and has provided so many tips. If you'd like to learn more about him and head over to his YouTube channel, then check out the links of the show notes at laughatadversity.com forward slash 17. There you can find anything that we discussed, including the links and free giveaways that he mentioned in this episode. And also, please take a minute to head over to iTunes or your podcast player and subscribe and leave a rating and review to the podcast. That's the easiest way for the podcast to be found and help change others' lives too.